Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Have you gotten Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, kiss me, I'm Irish time, St. Patrick's Day time, NCAA tournament time. Walk-off baseball win time. A little more COVID with the football. That's that's not so fun time. But there's more good than bad time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on aforementioned St. Patrick's Day, Fort Rucker Studio on a Wednesday evening. Whether it's – I think we're going to drop this on Wednesday evening. So whether it's Wednesday evening or Thursday Morning or Thursday afternoon, Thursday night, Friday morning, maybe Friday lunchtime, whatever time of day it is, whatever day it is, we're happy that you're spending part of it with us on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We're going to spend most of this episode uh, doing something a little bit different. We, uh, we went over to Corvallis, Oregon, digitally, of course, and spoke with Carter Baines from 247sports.com's Beaver Blitz. The man in Corvallis, our man in Corvallis, to talk a little Tennessee, Oregon State. Of course, that NCAA tournament game coming up 4:30 Eastern on Friday. They're at Bankers Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, the home of the Pacers. It'll be an interesting game for for the Vols in in, in many ways. Uh, back in the NCAA tournament, really, I guess it's the the first time there's been an NCAA tournament in a couple of years. Vols a five seed in the Midwest region, playing 12th seed Oregon State, which. You know, did not look like an NCAA tournament team for most of the year, to be frank, Um, but then got much better later in the season. Went on a tear there at the Pac-12 tournament, won three games in three days against three good teams, and and there they are. The the Beavers are back in the NCAA tournament as well, and I believe they've opened as a nine-point underdog to Tennessee, but they've been playing some good basketball lately, and as Carter will tell you here in a little bit, uh, I don't think they're scared. I don't think they're intimidated. I think they – they feel like they've got a chance in this game. And, and when you're playing Tennessee, you, you might. You know, it depends on whether the good Vols or the bad Vols show up. So we're going to get to that interview in just a second. We spent a good 45 minutes or so uh, with Carter. It was a really good conversation. Uh, but before we do that, a couple of quick news and notes. Uh, first off, I guess we'll start with the less than good news. Uh, Tennessee football has gone on a pause uh, uh, because of some COVID uh, there, there's been some some COVID going around the program again with multiple players and coaches. They've taken a pause Wednesday, uh, and they're calling it, quote, an abundance of caution, end quote. So maybe no long-term scare, just trying to make sure that they, they've gotten the guys who tested positive, isolated, uh, get some contact tracing stuff done, get some extra, extra tests done, see if they can get started, because they're supposed to, to start spring practice, scheduled to start it on Tuesday. So last I've heard, they're, they're still hoping to do that, but uh, they're going to lock it down for a couple days, put a pause on some things, see where things are. Clearly, this is a big time for Tennessee first spring under Josh Heupel and his staff. So there's lots that they want to get to, and, and certainly this would be a good time to have a really good spring. Tennessee needs it in a lot of ways. So uh, maybe not the most auspicious start to the, the to the spring buildup, but we'll see how that goes. On to better news, uh, the 10th-ranked Tennessee baseball team with a walk-off 9-6 to win over East Tennessee State on Tuesday night at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, the Vols' first game, or last game, I should say, before the start of SEC play this weekend when they'll go down to Georgia for a three-game series. Uh, it's a really good game for many reasons. One, ETSU and Tennessee do not get along. They're, there's, a, I believe, 10 Knoxville-area players on ETSU's roster, most of whom obviously wanted to go to Tennessee, um, but Tennessee – uh, did not extend offers, uh, so they went elsewhere. Lots of guys from Juco Power Walter State, which is nearby, uh, sort of between Knoxville and Johnson City there on I-81. Uh, lots and lots of guys uh, from that team that have gone on to both programs. 
Um, and, and maybe bad blood's a stretch, but they certainly, because uh, some of them are friends off the, off the field, but when they play, there's a lot of intensity there, and there's a big chip on the shoulder from ETSU, and uh, it's already a good baseball program, but they, it becomes a little bit better more often than not when it plays Tennessee. There's a lot riding on that game for the Bucks, big game for them, and they played Tennessee really, really hard. You know, Tennessee stranded 12 on base, uh, in the first nine innings of the game. Probably should have taken the thing uh, in nine innings, uh, but left too many guys on the base paths and, and had a couple, uh, one blunder there from Jordan Beck in right field, an error that led to, to at least one, possibly two runs scoring. Uh, but the lead changed, I believe, five times in that game. There were four ties in that game. Uh, Tennessee went up, so I believe, five to four uh, in the bottom of the seventh, and, and then um, lo and behold, ETSU goes out there after the Beck air, scores a couple runs in the top of the eighth. Tennessee gets one run in the bottom of the eighth. Probably should have been more, but uh, settled for the one after loading the bases with no outs uh, and then missed another opportunity there in the in the ninth inning to get a runner home from third base with one out after a crazy um, interference call on ETSU that was probably the right call looking at replay, but uh, wasn't called on the field at first. Uh, Tennessee's bench erupts. Uh, then ETSU takes exception to Tennessee taking exception. One of Tennessee's players, Evan Russell, had to be restrained. Uh, got kind of got kind of squirrely there for a little bit, but then uh, things got calmed down. Uh, ETSU got the stop, uh, and then uh, they go out back out there in the top of the tenth. Another good inning from Kirby Condal out of the bullpen for Tennessee. One hit, but no runs there in the top of the tenth. Uh, and then the Vols again put two on with one out there in the bottom of the uh, bottom of the tenth. And then Drew Gilbert, Mister Excitement himself. Uh, hits one kind of into the right center gap, but it gets hauled down, leaving it all up to Jordan Beck, who made the error in the game, but also hit a home run earlier in the game. And then lo and behold, boom, takes a 2-1 pitch over the wall in left center field. Uh, was a great, if you haven't seen it, go to Tennessee Baseball's Twitter account. I believe we've got the the video there on our site at Go Balls 24-7 as well. But it was a really fun, uh, really, really good walk-off. It was a, a nonchalant bat flip uh, without looking towards his teammates. And then he kind of takes off his elbow pad, takes off his shin guard, and uh, then turns around and screams, let's go at his teammates, does the round trip around the bags, uh, and then gets the usual uh, celebration there after he crosses home plate, gets doused with water and jersey pulls and helmet removals and kidney punches and all kinds of good stuff. It was a, it was a really, really fun game. Uh, and I think that kind of intensity will, will be good for Tennessee to get things dialed up for SEC play for the 10th-ranked balls going down to Georgia over the weekend. And lastly, the news on John Fulkerson is, uh, drum roll, there is no news. Uh, there was no update on Wednesday. Rick Barnes simply said that uh, Fulkerson is day-to-day after getting surgery to correct uh, the facial fracture he suffered from the elbow against Florida. Um, but I wonder if the concussion might be the, the bigger deal there that prevents him from playing in the short term. I don't know. There's, there's different kinds of orbital fractures you can have, and some of them you can kind of play through with the mask. Some you, you really can't play for a while. Not really sure. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend I know, but uh, that's interesting nonetheless, and uh, we will see how that goes. Um, I, for me, looking from the outside, it, it kind of looks tough to see if he'll be able to go. Um, but, you know, I guess Tennessee's going to try to make it happen. Fulkerson's up there with the team, and we'll see if there's any updates on that before the game or if that's something we just find out on Friday. We shall see. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to the main man himself. Uh, we went over to uh, digitally through Zoom. We went down to Corvallis, Oregon, a uh, little qu- uh, quaint village of Corvallis uh, with a nice little campus there in a beautiful state. And I say this during the interview, but legitimately my second favorite state in this country. I love living in East Tennessee, one of the most beautiful places in the country. Love it. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, but Oregon's a really nice place to live also. Beautiful, beautiful place out there. Um, some interesting people, uh, really interesting people, some, some wackos on both sides, uh, but uh, also a lot of good people, a lot of good down-to-earth people, and a lot of good beer, too. Uh, and it, it's St. Patty's Day would be a nice time for, for one of their brews. Me, personally, I'll be taking a swan dive into a vat of Jameson uh, after we've got this podcast recorded and put to bed and everything. Uh, but let's go ahead and get to that. There, there's a lot to talk about with Oregon State. It's a really interesting team for a lot of different reasons. Uh, struggled to start the season, picked things up, went on a run in the tournament, uh, and now uh, it's a big team, team with size, teams that plays a team that plays at a deliberate pace. A really interesting matchup for Tennessee with or without Fulkerson. Uh, so there's plenty to discuss. So I'm going to step out of the way and I'm going to get to that interview we had with our own CBSSports.com's 247Sports.com's BeaverBlitz.com's Carter Baines. 
joined now by our, our good friend, and, and we've just met, but I have a feeling this is going to be a good friend. Carter Baines from uh, 24-7 Sports, Beaver Blitz, the beat writer, over there on the left coast covering all things Beavers for 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports, etc. Carter, what's going on, my man? Yeah, I'm just getting ready for uh, for some tournament action. Not very often at Oregon State you get to cover uh, March Madness. So first time in a few years, and you know it's it's a rare occurrence, so it's pretty exciting. And who knows? Since it's Oregon State, it could be a, uh, it could be a uh, you know March Madness, and then another trip to Omaha at some point. So you, you never you never really know with uh, with the absolutely with the bees. And uh, although uh, before we start talking about actual basketball matters at hand, I notice I don't think I see any green on you. And we're recording this on St. Patrick's Day, and I don't know if we're running it on the night of St. Patrick's Day or uh, the day after St. Patrick's Day, which is National Hangover Day. But um, I got to tell you, as one of like the four Catholics who live in the East Tennessee region, I got to wonder where your green is, man. Uh, at Oregon State, you'd be hard pressed to find much green. There you go. You know, in, in Corvallis, it's uh, even on St. Patrick's Day, it's it's a sin to wear green. I've, I've got some gum here, if that counts. There you go. There you go. Gum. You know what, what's what's funny about that is in the SEC, you know, there's uh, there's 14 teams in the league now. And because um, the SEC, unlike some leagues, can actually count the the number of teams that it has, uh, and, you know, they, they don't have like a, you know, it's just the SEC. It's not like the SEC 16 and there's 14 teams and, you know, whatever. That's another topic right. for another day. But the point is, in the SEC, the only safe color that you can wear is green. Because if you are going into, uh, you know, you're going into a press box and you're walking through fans, you want to be wearing a neutral color, you know, you don't want to be doing anything inappropriate in the press box. And so what you do is you, you want to wear, uh, you know, not the color of the team you cover, not the color of the team that, you know, that they're playing that day, which in Tennessee's case, it's orange. So it's pretty easy. Like orange is a color you, you definitely know when you're buying orange. You're like, that's orange and I'm buying it. Same with Oregon State. It's like, oh, there's that. Um, but, you know, with other places, it's like, you know, Vandy, you know, where's black, you know, black and gold. So it's like, can yeah. you not wear black? Black's like the easiest color to wear. It's, it's, it's so easy. Um, but green, you'll see a lot of SEC beat writers who have a lot of green in their wardrobe. Uh, and it's not just to, to, to get ready for St. Patty's Day. It's because it's the safe color to wear, which is, uh, which is interesting. But, but I got I to tell you, Carter, I'm, you know, when I look at this Oregon State team, and uh, I'm a bit of a night owl, and, and I like Pac-12 after dark. I like Pac-12 sports. I like watching uh, you know, just about all the major sports in that league. I, I enjoy watching them from over here, this part of the country. Um, but a lot of people in this part of the country, you know, they, they've got – they're on more of that 9-5, to 8-5 to five grind, and so they don't get to see as many games in this league uh, as they do, obviously, in other leagues. And I got to tell you, Oregon State is a tough team to, to figure out because you, you never want to judge a team by, let's say, its lowest point, right? Because, you know, or really anything that happened two months ago because if we're looking two months ago – you know, Oregon State is not even a postseason team, not any kind of a postseason tournament. And Tennessee might be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And now we're sitting here two months later. You know, Tennessee's had some injuries, had some inconsistencies, fallen down to a five seed. And Oregon State, you know, started playing better ball late in the season. And then just, bam, in the in the Pac-12 tournament, a brilliant run. Three wins, you know, really good wins back to back to back. You know, kind of get to be a bid thief, get into the tournament. What has it been like? watching this team go through such a sudden transformation and what caused it? No, it's been awesome. The, the, the last couple of weeks, really, they've, they've just turned it on and really come together as a group. Um, you mentioned two months ago, and, and that really is when it flipped for Oregon State. They hosted Arizona. Uh, man, it was, it was right after winter break. You know, they, they had just started conference play, and, and here they are finally getting some guys back from injury, and you think, all right, you know, they're going to put it together. And then Arizona comes to town, Oregon state loses by, man, I think like 30, 35, something yeah. like that on their home court. And that was, it was kind of just like, it was, it was a come together moment. It was a, all right, you know, this is not the team we want to be. This is not the team we know that we're capable of being. We got to figure some stuff out. And they went to the drawing, they went back to the drawing board. Coaches met, you know, they, they restructured the starting lineup. Guys took on different roles. And what do you know, two months later, they're beating, you know, three of the top four teams in the conference to secure a, a bid to the NCAA tournament. So it really has been the last two or three weeks or so where they've 
you know, finally started to play to the potential that everybody thought they might when they started, you know, when this, this team beat a D three school by about 70 points back in November. And people said, you know, this team has got the athletes to beat some real good teams. Mm -hmm. Took them a while to get back to, you know, that level where they were making shots at the, at the consistency they were in that game and, and playing the level of defense that looked like it was possible that they would. I'm just wondering out of curiosity, um, teams go through different things with, with COVID at different points and, and Tennessee, you know, the, the, the big start to Tennessee season was a bit of a surprise, not because this team wasn't supposed to be good. I mean, you signed two one-and-done five-star guards. You know, you've got two all-SEC guys in the front court. You've got maybe the best defender in college basketball. Everybody knew Tennessee was going to be a pretty good team, but Tennessee was absolutely decimated by COVID um, right there in the offseason and right before the start of preseason camp uh, to the point where I think Rick Barnes said just about everybody on the team, himself included, got the virus at one point or another. There was a time where in East Tennessee it was just like you couldn't go outside without getting the thing, and, and they got it. Um, and, and it really cost some guys like, you know, they had one player in particular who they still haven't mentioned who spent like three different times in quarantine. And, you know, back then it was, you know, you're, you're in contact tracing. It's like two weeks or whatever, like you can't do anything. And, and so they were, I wondered, were they, were they going to be in shape in early in the season? Were they going to have some guys really rusty? Um, but they ended up, you know, they beat Colorado right there to start the thing. And then off they go and they're, they're playing good ball. And uh, then they started struggling a little bit. But during the season, only one walk-on got COVID at one point. Um, and, and then it, it ended up being a false positive, so we didn't even get it. Uh, and then I think with Oregon State, if I remember correctly, they had one, was it one seven-day pause? Did that have any kind of an impact, or, or what's their their COVID story been like? Yeah, actually, Oregon State's done a pretty good job of mitigating the virus, not just within the basketball program, but across the athletic department. Uh, the, the women's basketball team did have you know, multiple lengthy shutdowns, but on the men's side, uh, yeah, you mentioned it. There was about a seven to 10 day shutdown, I believe. Um, it didn't quite hit the full two weeks. And that was right around, you know, I mentioned the Arizona game as being kind of a turning point. That was right around when um, this mini outbreak occurred. And so it started with a couple of assistants and actually, you know, kind of a, a cool story. Well, I mean, not a, not a cool story for the team, but an, an, an interesting sure, storyline sure, sure. was that Coach Tinkle, head coach of, of, of Oregon State, coached a game without any assistance. It was just him and his players, you know, on the sideline. And it was a, it was a tough stretch, and they were losing some games, and obviously they dropped the, the Arizona game. But um, as, as far as players missing time, Roman Silva, the, uh, the starting center, missed a couple of games. Um, you know, he was out of the lineup for a little bit. But once he got, re- once he got reinserted into the lineup, he's kind of, you know, picked back up where he left off and, and really made some improvements. But um, yeah, just that, that little mid season blip on the radar was really all they've had to deal with. And I heard, um, and, and I've, I've listened to, uh, I didn't get to a chance to listen to, to Wednesday's pressures yet, but I heard, you know, I was able to, to follow the, the half hour press conference uh, the, with Wayne Tinkle and local media there. I believe it was maybe Sunday night or something after the bracket had been unveiled and, you know, it's cool. He's just sitting there like uh, Tennessee's are usually kind of formal. And, you know, Tinkle's just sitting there kind of like on a couch. He's like scratching the back of his head. He's chilling. He's got the phone vertical, not horizontal. I'm like, man, I like this guy. I like this guy. And uh, but one thing that I really that really interested me or piqued my interest was when uh, he talked about some of their low moments in the season. And he said it may have been after that Arizona game. Um, and it may not have been, but I think it may have been after the Arizona game where he told the guys like, listen, I think that you want to win, um, but I think you have no idea what winning even looks like. You, you have no idea the very basic things that you have to do in order to win. So he wrote down basically like three really simple things. And he said, we'll start with these three things and we'll go from there. And I don't know if that means we're going to win now, um, but it means that we will learn how to win now. And then eventually we will win. And you know, and ends up being a masterstroke because they end up, you know, they obviously started winning. Um, but what were some of those things that, that just really had to change and did change? You know, a lot of it was really just buying into uh, the idea of team. And that was, that was always going to be a challenge for this year's roster because, um, you know, 
I don't know how much you know about the the, uh, the recent history of Oregon State sure. basketball, bit, but yeah. you know, um, but you know, Coach Tinkle's son was on the on the team for a mm-hmm. few years, ended up finishing his career as the leading scorer in Oregon State history. He leaves this past off season. Um, Stephen Thompson Jr., another big contributor. You know, he's not he's no longer in the program. This team lost a lot of big big contributors over the last you know year or two, and so they filled the roster with a lot of junior college guys and, and transfers. And it was, it was going to take a long time for that to, for that to kind of mesh, especially when you don't have a regular off season to implement game plans and get everybody in the gym and work together. And so that's why coach Tinkle placed such an emphasis on, you know, buying into the team, buying into the game plan, buying into strategy, playing for each other. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's one of the, one of the things, one of the things he wrote on the whiteboard after that Arizona game. And, and he said, you know, we, we wrote that on the, on the whiteboard before the Colorado game in the Pac-12 tournament, that that's just been something that we're following all year is play for each other, buy into the team approach and we're going to win games. And, you know, that was, that was a struggle early on because a lot of these guys were starting, we're still trying to carve out roles, but now that they know how to play with each other and for each other, it's really starting to show on both ends of the floor. And in terms of sort of this team, you, you know, and, and like I said, I, I would not, I would stop short of my, of calling myself even like, uh, uh, like a novice about this team. Cause I've seen it play a few times, um, but have not seen it enough to, to really sit there and tell you, okay, there's this, this, and this, this is good. This is not so good. Um, but what I can do is I can look at numbers and, and I can, I can look at some certain things. And, and one of them is, there's there's good size on this team. Uh, I believe that there's and, and you know Tennessee's a team that is bigger than it looks because you know Rick Barnes recruits length more than height. So so he's got guys that are like six six but have like seven foot wingspans and and so they they get cover a lot of the court. Um, and people always used to say how short they were. They really weren't. They they had length, which is important in basketball. So I, I, I guess what I'm saying is it's still a little bit surprising to see. I think Oregon State's only got two guys shorter than six five that I see on the roster and they're both six, three. So, so clearly they've, they've made that a priority in terms of, it looks like they have anyways, in terms of getting size. I know Tinkle's a big guy himself. Um, in, in terms of, of sort of the way that, that they want to play uh, the style that they're recruiting to, um, cause it looks like they've got some good athletes too, but, but really they got a lot of size. Is that, I mean, am I, am I overstating that or do, do they, do they use that size to their advantage? No, I, I think that's an important factor with this team. And, you know, you mentioned that coach Stinkle's a big guy himself and, you know, he's got, he's got a coaching staff that has developed big guys in the past. Drew Eubanks came here as, you know, as a three, four star prospect, and now he's playing considerable minutes mm-hmm. in the NBA. And that's just kind of been the player that they've developed over the last couple of years. And so, um, yeah, you, you know, with Roman Silva, big seven foot one starting center, and then you've got guys like Rodrigo Andela, um, De'Aaron Tucker, you know, these guys come off the bench and play some, play some important minutes as well. Oregon State wants to feed the post and that's, you know, and, you know, like look for traditional post moves and, and finish at the rim. And that's obviously something that we don't really see a whole lot of anymore in, in today's game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it gives them an interesting advantage against teams like, you know, look at the Pac-12 semis against Oregon, who's, you know, their, their starting lineup, their tallest players, like six, seven. Mm-hmm. So you've got like three players on the floor at any given time who are taller than Oregon's tallest player. So what do you do? You go, you know, you, you feed the post and, and you post up your, you, you post up your small forwards and you get Ethan Thompson, your point guard to post up and, you know, it's, you, you just keep going to the rim. And I, I think that's kind of this team's game plan, um, you know, day in and day out is we want, we want to score at the rim first. And then we also have some knockdown shooters on the perimeter that we can go to uh, once we start trying, once we start drawing the defense in. I would imagine if you play that way, you really have to minimize live ball turnovers because, and, I, and I'm sure that, you know, they've got some good athletes, um, but, you know, with some of those guys at that size, you know, you say about saying you're talking about teams like Oregon and stuff, like, you know, you, a live ball turnover, it's kind of like 
you know, putting two points on the board the other way just because you're not going to be able to get back in transition. How well do they take care of the ball? I know they play at a very deliberate tempo. I think it's like 315 or 320 or somewhere nationally in adjusted offensive tempo. So they're clearly playing a deliberate style of basketball. Um, And how important does that make taking care of the ball for them? Yeah, turnovers are huge. And actually, this team has done a very good job taking care of the ball. For most of the season, they they either led the conference or were, you know, like top two or three in, in turnovers and assist to turnover ratio. And, and that's big because, you know, you mentioned it, there are some athletes on this team, but it's hard for a seven, one center to run the court and, you know, and, and get back in time to set the defense and, and not make that turn into a, a defensive disadvantage where you've got, you know, like a three on two or something like that, where, where teams are just going to capitalize with, with easy points. Um, so yeah, it's, it's huge. And Oregon state's got some pretty good ball handlers and Ethan Thompson and then Gianni hunt comes off the bench. You know, these are, these are sure handed guys and that's exactly what you need. I think you have to be careful in terms of, you know, and we all, we all have to be so careful with this of, of oversimplifying things, right? It's like the thing to do in sports media. Now you take like a small sample size or one thing and you say, this is the whole story right here. This is everything. Um, when really life's not really a black or white thing. It's kind of a gray area. Most of life is. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say here is how, how would you, with that said, how would you describe sort of the mentality, the blueprint of the Oregon state program? Because I know that, um, and admittedly I got some friends on the, on the left coast in that state, m- more so associated with Oregon than Oregon state, just because those are the people I, I happen to know, like, you know, Tennessee's played Oregon a few times and I got, friends just personal friends who who live out there that that part of the of the state and um, I'm wondering what that is because because I sometimes see like a real blue collar mentality um, with Oregon State because it has to be kind of like um you know Mississippi State in the SEC is um, located right there in Starkville it's like an hour away or you know 50 miles from Tuscaloosa and you know it's just they're never going to get all the love they're never going to get all the attention they just have to go about their business. They have to do it their way, and they have to succeed. Because, I mean, Oregon State, there's been great players in several sports. I mean, you know, some great quarterbacks, you know, Gary Payton and some other guys in basketball, a great baseball program. You can have lots of success there, but it seems like maybe a blue-collar mentality is kind of a a, a, a mandatory thing. Is that is that an oversimplification, or, or is that somewhere in the ballpark? No, blue-collar, is it's exactly right, and – this is something that Oregon State players, coaches, administrators, and, and fans alike, they totally buy into this approach where it's like, you know, we're going to pack our lunchbox, we're going to go to work, and, and we're going to get this done. It's a, it's a it kind of like a built, not bought, you know, is, is kind of yeah. the, the tagline there where Oregon State doesn't have the flashiest facilities, you know, they're not that far behind, but it's, it's certainly not Oregon, you know, they don't have well, Nike. Not everybody has Uncle know. Phil, you know. Exactly. Exactly. They don't have Nike giving them new uniforms every game. You know, they're not this flashy program, but they, you know, they produce results across all sports. They are a danger to top ranked teams year in and year out. You know, football is known for its, for its giant killers. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're knocking down number one USC left and right in the, in the beginning of the, uh, the 21st century. And then yeah, P, obviously P, P, beat, beat Carroll wanted, yeah, wanted no part of going up there anymore. He was tired of it. <laughs> No. And, and then the, the basketball program, look this year, you know, they're beating these, these top, top ranked teams in the Pac-12 um, in, in the tournament down the stretch. And they're always good for a couple upsets every year where, um, you know, like top 10 Arizona will come into to Gill Coliseum and, and Oregon State will stun them. And um, you know, Oregon recently has typically been highly ranked and the Beavers kind of dominated that series. Mm-hmm. So you know, like, like I said, it's, it's a built, not bought tradition and everybody's completely bought into it. And, you know, it's blue collar is exactly how I would describe it. Everybody has this, this huge sense of pride where it's like, you know, we're going to put in the work necessary to overcome some of our shortcomings. And, um, you know, that's what, that's where good coaching really, that's, that's where it really becomes important. And I, I think you're seeing that right now with coach Tinkle and, and really across the entire athletic department or Oregon state's in a good place with the leadership it has. Yeah. It's always careful. You got to be careful how you ask a question like that, because some people treat 
blue collar as if it's some sort of a, you know, backhanded compliment at best. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, my, my dad is named Rawhide and did not go to college. Like, you know, I, 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 it's a term of endearment for me. Like, it's like you, you pick it, you, you pack your lunch, you go to work, you get the job done. And I, I think to me, Tinkle's a guy who really fits into that a little bit, you know, I mean, he, um, you know, he's a Montana guy, went to Montana, uh, coached at Montana for a long time. So, I mean, it's not like he's coming from, you know, Manhattan or San Francisco or somewhere. I mean, th- this is a this is a a kind of lunch pail guy. He just seems to really kind of fit into the vibe over there. Yeah, absolutely. No, and that was that was something that I think became clear early on in his tenure was that you know this is the kind of guy that you you want to sit down and have a drink with. And yeah. you mentioned it earlier with with you know on his his press conference on Sunday, just you know relaxed approach, just sitting there on his phone, and that's that's the Wayne Tinkle approach to to coaching, to life, you know, to, to leading this program. It's, you know, we're, we're going to do this casually, but we're going to do it right. And we're going to put in hard work. You know, we're, it, he's, a, he's a personal, a personable guy um, on and off the court. And, and I think that shows with the relationships he's built with his players. Um, you know, it, it was fun to watch after the game against Colorado, him just embrace his guys and, you know, their hug and everybody. And, you know, he said he, he got a little emotional and, and I think that's totally, you know, it's totally reflective of the relationships that he's been able to build here because he is so down to earth. That was the first part of our interview with our, with our new friend, but our good friend Carter Baines, who covers Oregon state uh, for beaverblitz.com, which is part of the 24 uh, seven sports CBS sports family of networks. A lot of good stuff there, but even more good stuff to come. But before we get to that, going to take a quick break. Uh, we got to pay some bills, listen to some products, add services and other fun things. And we will be right back talking more Vols and Oregon state basketball NCAA tournament on the go Vols 24 seven podcast. Hashtag ad. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Wednesday evening, a St. Patrick's Day evening, uh, which is always special here at Fort Rucker. Lots and lots of good stuff. You know, we, we'd like to be out there out and about in the public uh, for St. Patrick's Day, but uh, eh, just not quite safe yet. I haven't gotten the uh, getting the second vaccine here in a couple weeks, and uh and then a couple weeks after that, then I'll feel a little bit better about going out and doing some things. But it's like at this point, we've made it this far. So, you know, why why risk it? It's just a couple more weeks. 
we can make it work. Talking a lot of Tennessee basketball in this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, speaking with our good friend uh, Carter Baines from uh, beaverblitz.com, which is the Oregon State site in the 24-7 Sports Network. So we're going to get back to talking uh, Vols and Beavers with him in just a second. Before we do that, though, quick reminder, guys, if you could take a minute out of your day right now, and that's all it'll take is just a minute, and go in there and hit the subscribe button on this podcast, rate and review this podcast, uh, that would help us out a lot. We do this for free, and we are happy to do it. It's a labor of love. Absolutely zero complaints from our end. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the one thing that would really, really help us is if you could go in there and subscribe and rate and review. Uh, that really helps us with the the algorithms and the metrics and everything. That helps us add even more wolves to our wolf pack. So we, we'd like for you to go out there and uh, tell your friends and family, uh, Tennessee people that you know, uh, about this podcast. And also, if you could rate and review this podcast, that would be great, whether it's on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Uh, and right now, it's also a good time if you hurry to go to GoVols247.com. There's never a bad time, uh, but this is a good time. You got got a couple, your first couple months for $1, $1 Bob, uh, which, is a, which is a hell of a deal, and one that I think you all should go look into. I mean, we, we offer so much with that subscription, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the tail end of the podcast, but uh, that's just a lot that we offer, and, and it's 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 cheaper than one mediocre lunch per month, uh, anyway. Uh, but if you jump in on the front end, you can get a good deal. Uh, that that gets you started, and that's good. And then you start paying, and when you do that, uh, you get CBS All Access access. I guess I should say Paramount Plus access now. I'm getting used to it. it's called Paramount Plus now, which is good for y'all because there's even more stuff on there. And that's a $100 annual value uh, ad free that we give to you, and that's. That's a deal that nobody else can match. Uh, we're the only place that can give you that deal, so so please go take advantage of it. Uh, with that out of the way, we're going to get back into the, the the fun stuff. Not that the other stuff wasn't fun, but this is the main topic, obviously, talking Tennessee, Oregon State, NCAA tournament basketball. Game Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on TNT, I believe, between the Vols and the Beavers. And we uh, reached out through Zoom to our good friend, our new friend, but good friend, Carter Baines, who covers Oregon State for 24-7 sports. They're at beaverblitz.com, talking Vols, Beavers, all kinds of other fun stuff. And here's the second part of that interview discussion, you could say, with Carter Baines. You know, uh, I think it. you always look for storylines and, you know, national storylines when the NCAA tournament comes around, and I, you know, I got friends who work in like you know production teams and TV trucks and stuff, and they're always looking for interesting things that you know, interesting plot lines to follow. And and I wonder if Tinkle's family could could be one of those for for this tournament because I say that because you know Tennessee ran full on into the sister Jean Buzzsaw a couple of years ago, right? Like they, you know, that was just I think sister Jean with some help from above managed to take that ball from Loyola, which hit like the rim like seven different times and then somehow found its way into the basket. And then Tennessee spun around and around and went out. And I was like, well, that's, you're talking about like the hand of God there or something. I mean, that was, you know, it, it, but, but, you know, sister Jean was that big story and she gets to go to the tournament again this year, which is super cool. And she's in the Midwest region, which I'm sure Tennessee fans are like, oh my God, not again. But I, I wonder if Tinkle's family could be that, a little bit this year if they can, you know, get in and everything because the, the the cameras do not shy away from showing them and they get they get really into the thing. I mean, they're a they're a big time basketball family. A couple, you know, I believe he had what daughters who played at Stanford and I believe Gonzaga and uh, his wife played at Montana, I believe too. And they just they seem yep. to be kind of a really passionate basketball family the, who gets a, who definitely gets some time uh, from the cameras. Yeah, no, they're they're totally bought into this to this Oregon State program. Um, it, it's always fun, you know, his, his daughters, Jocelyn and Ellie always sit courtside, uh, across from the bench in, you know, in normal times, obviously this year it's, it's been different, but, you know, I, I can be sitting up towards the rafters and in, in Gill and I can hear them yelling at the refs from all the way down there. And, you know, that's, that's just, that's the way that family is. They're, they're so passionate about basketball and, and they've had every single one of them has had so much success everywhere they've, they've played and. And obviously, and in Wayne's, in Wayne's case, coached. Um, it's it's awesome to see Trace up there with his family, yeah. watching and, and cheering on his dad because you know what Trace means to this program. It like it literally cannot be overstated how important he was to this rebuild. Uh, because Oregon State basketball was in a pretty dark place until until Coach Tinkle came and when he brought his son on board and 
you know, and, and they started winning a lot more games and, and trace was this all conference type player, you know, that was, that was huge for the program. And so it's cool to see him up in the stands, you know, cheering on his dad, cheering on this team with some of the guys that he played with, um, you know, it, it's exciting for them and that it's, it's a great family, you know, they love Oregon state and Oregon state loves them. And so I absolutely think that could be, you know, a, a fun storyline to follow if Oregon state makes a run here. You know, it, it's always tough to tell, um, especially in, in this kind of season, because, and I say this all the time, uh, for a for a program that gets as much sort of attention nationally as Tennessee does and for as many people cover the team as they do, I mean, a lot of people probably aren't aware that Knoxville's a metro area of like a million people. Like, it's not like a small place. Um, and, you know, you got Nashville down the road. And, you know, I mean, there, so there, there's a lot of media and a lot of attention with that Tennessee brand. But with that said, Tennessee basketball, at least, does a tremendous job of still being accessible. Like we can still in a normal year, go watch practices. We can still be, you know, around the guys multiple times per week. We, you know, we're, we're still right there with good seats during the game and you get to experience. So you get a pretty good idea of a team, you know, the good things, the warts, everything in between, and it helps you cover the team. This year, obviously that's not the case. Uh, we're on zoom with them a couple times a week, but we're not able to, truly get a feel for where things are. I mean, we have sources, we talk to people, we talk to Barnes, we talk to players, we talk to others around the program, but it's hard to, you know, like when things are going wrong a little bit, like you go from being, you know, ranked fifth or sixth nationally, then you lose like, you know, seven of your next 15 games and people are going, what's going on? And I'm like, I think I know, but I, but I, but I don't know um, exactly. Not like I normally would. And so what I guess I'm asking here is, what kind of a sense do you get of, of the headspace right now of this Oregon State team? Because this is a team that, I mean, it's not like you're playing with house money because even if you're not expected to get there, you still want to win when you get there. So sort of how, where's the confidence level of this team? Do they have a devil-may-care attitude? Are they business-like? Can you get a sense of sort of where this team is right now? Yeah, totally. Extremely confident. That's that's how I, I That's how I would put it. And enthusiastic too. Um, you know, we've talked to some of the players after the games, uh, recently and, and just today talked to Ethan Thompson always has a smile on his face. Ethan does. And, and it's even brighter now. I think he's just so excited to get to the tournament and and prove people wrong, you know, about, about Oregon state and, and, and not even so much prove people wrong, but just kind of, you know, like prove our worth, you know, prove Oregon state's worth and, and show everybody what, what this team is capable of they're they're they have all the confidence in the world after beating you know the, the three teams they did in the pac-12 tournament and then they beat all but i believe two teams in the conference this year so you know confidence is is certainly not an issue with this squad and um and coach tinkle will tell you that too he's got you know he'll say he's got some players who are you know ex- extremely confident in their own abilities but then um also confident in the, in the team and so yeah, I would say just, you know, sky high confidence going into this thing and, and overall excitement to to be playing at a, a level and in, at at a stage that Oregon State is not really accustomed to. Yeah, it's interesting, especially because Oregon State's got that size and, and Tennessee. I, my belief is still that John Fulkerson will not play, um, at least in this first week of the NCAA tournament. If they get to a second week, maybe he's available at that point. Um, but he had a pretty nasty concussion and he had a – you know, he had that, that facial fracture. I'm not sure if you saw the elbow that did it, but it was uh, Tennessee and Florida. Yeah, you, you may have heard even from the West Coast, they do not get along traditionally in, in, in athletics. And uh, he, he took just two absolutely intentional elbows right to the face. It was brutal. Um, and, and, you know, that puts Tennessee in an interesting position where Tennessee now, um, I still think even with a healthy Fulkerson, and it's funny to say this because he's an all-SEC player, but there are still times where I think Tennessee's best lineup is that murder ball lineup where they go with like a 6'6 Eve Pons at the center position because he's one of the most ridiculous defenders that any of us have ever seen. Uh, and then they got Josiah Jordan-James at like 6'7, six, 6'6 six, six there at the power forward spot. And they kind of got five guards and they just run around. They can switch on every screen. Um, but I still think – this would be a game where you could use Fulkerson. They do have uh, Uros Plasic, the seven-foot Serbian. He could probably get some more run in this game because of the way it's going to be played, I'm guessing. He'll be important in this game. Um, but in terms of the matchups, you, you know, how would 
I know that Oregon State will probably say that it respects Tennessee, but it's confident because that's the thing you should say in this situation. But how do you get a sense for this matchup? Because Tennessee is a team that I don't think anybody's ever really comfortable playing them, but it's like the the fewer expectations that your team has going into a game against Tennessee is is better for you. Because Tennessee, when it's dialed in and at its best, can just run Kansas off the floor. You know, just it, it's just done some damage to people when it's done that. Um, but then it's also like gone to Ole Miss and lost. And, and and it's had some games in there where you go, what was that? And when they're not dialed in, anybody can really get in there and beat them when they're not doing their thing. And I wonder how you think of this game kind of stylistically from from what maybe what you think and maybe what you've gotten or heard from, from uh, the guys over there at Oregon State. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of like the pace of play and kind of the, the intensity that we see from both sides, because um, I mean, I'll admit, I still haven't seen a whole lot of Tennessee film and, you know, I, I wasn't able to watch many games throughout the year, but from what I have heard, you know, kind of like a, you know, just a super athletic team, you know, like a tough defense, they're going to get, they're going to get in your grill. Um, you know, Oregon state will play that way, but they want to do it at a slower pace. You know, they want to take the clock down on both ends of the floor limit possessions. So it seems like there's almost like contrasting styles where correct me if I'm wrong, but Tennessee probably a little more comfortable getting out in space and and running the court a little bit. It likes to. Yeah. In fact, we were wondering earlier this season why they were ranked so low for a while in, in adjusted tempo because they've got two one and done, guards in the backcourt <laughs> who can absolutely go out and, and zoom. And it's like, why are you not doing this? And then they started doing it. So now they're getting up and down pretty quick. And right. and the way they play defense is 100% in your face. The, the point guard can be face guarded for 94 feet. They, they will, they get after you there, but you know, mm-hmm. if they can get out and run, they will, but if not, they'll, they'll pull it out and run clock. Okay. Yeah. So I would say, you know, this, this game probably follows somewhat of the same storyline as, when Oregon state plays Oregon in terms of style of play where, you know, Oregon wants to be all over you on defense and then get out into the space and, you know, move the ball around and, and get quick shots on offenses. I mean, as long as they're open, but um, what the keys to what Oregon state did when they beat Oregon twice this year were slow the ducks down, um, you know, make them take shots late in the clock. And then, then on the other end, use the size and, you know, and, and pass it around and, you know, wear the defense down. So I, I think if Oregon State is able to establish that kind of that flow, play at their pace, make Tennessee adapt to the way they want to play, this this is anybody's game. But if Tennessee is able to establish that, you know, that that aggressive style where, you know, we're, we're going to get into you on defense and, and then get you out into space and score on you quick, if that's more of the style this game takes – I don't see Oregon State having too much of a shot. Well, the game, so much of it comes down to Tennessee with the way games are called um, because they make it tough on officials because they do get very physical. And if you want to call the fouls, a lot of times you can. And so much of it can be determined on whether they want to let some stuff go or whether they want to let you play. Because I imagine, um, you know, this is a team at, at Oregon State that fouls a good bit, like, gets to the line a decent bit and gives up a lot of free throws too. So they're used to some, some whistle heavy games, I'm, I'm guessing. But, um, you know, if Tennessee is allowed to be kind of physical and get out into the passing lanes, because Tennessee, what it does defensively is it just makes you uncomfortable. It, it sits on the ball. It denies every passing lane. It switches on everything. It just does not – the help defense with the athleticism is good. Pons is – I'm not exaggerating. The best six-six rim protector that I've ever seen. Uh, just an unbelievable job that he. The things, the shots he's able to block on a routine basis. Like p- people have gotten numb to it. It's like no, that's ridiculous. Like people don't normally do that at that size. That, don't don't get numb to this. You'll miss him when he's gone. But if they let Tennessee forces a lot of turnovers when it plays that way. And and if if Tennessee can force turnovers and bust the ball out and get out and run uh, and get some buckets that way, then I think. Tennessee does not sweat too, too much in this game. But like you said, if um, Oregon State can do what Loyola did a couple years ago, and that is, you know, handle the pressure, be tough in the, be, be calm, 
tough but calm in the face of pressure, whip the ball around, get good movement, get the ball into the painted area, let be crafty, make some plays, frustrate Tennessee, shrink the game. Then it's anyone's ball game because that that Loyola philosophy really gave Tennessee some problems. And other teams have done that a little bit too. The SEC in general likes to get out and run, but some other teams have done this to them and, and really frustrated them. And, and I think if, if, if Oregon State can do that – um, then, like you said, this this could be this could be a game. You know, how just out of curiosity, how surprised are you that that Oregon State is where it is right now? Because even though even though they were playing better basketball late in the season, it's just when I was looking at that Pac-12 tournament, I'll be totally honest. I said that's a pretty good team at Oregon State, but you know that was not one of like the first six picks I would have had to, to win that tournament if I'm being honest and I'm not a Pac-12 expert right. but watch some college hoops how surprised are you I, I'd say fairly surprised you know especially just given where this team was at a short time ago um, you know they, they were heading pretty quickly towards the bottom of the, the conference standings and it and they, even I'd say probably as as let's go back a month and a half and, and Oregon State loses like four of five games or something. And it's like, okay, th- there's t- one of two ways. You know, th- this is going to go one of two ways. Either they're going to get hot at the right time and scare some people down the stretch, or they're going to completely collapse. And that's around the time that Coach Tinkle, you know, really got his guys to buy in. This was a little bit after the Arizona game. And, and, and sure enough, you know, that they start clicking. And so, I think when they started playing that well, I said, okay, is this sustainable or is this just a little hot stretch? And I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that it is sustainable because they're, like I said earlier, they're playing for each other and they have found what works for them. You know, they've found that let's, let's go to Jared Lucas when we need a clutch shot. Let's go to Warif Alatiche when we need, you know, a, a bucket inside when we need to establish a presence and, and get to the free throw line, maybe. Let's go to Ethan Thompson when we need um, when we need ball handling and somebody who's going to you know calm the game down. Now that they have kind of established those roles and and you know, I keep going back to playing together. Now that they're doing that, I'm not surprised at all that they made that run. Um, af- after the UCLA game, I said, okay, you know this team is playing really well. They've won a few games in a row. Um, I-, I wasn't completely shocked that they went and beat Oregon and Colorado after that point, just because. I thought they were playing good enough basketball to do it. The grand scheme of things, you know, just to see Oregon State in the tournament this year, in a year where they're picked to finish last in the conference and in a year where they were, you know, heading that way midseason, I would say that is still surprising. Um, but, you know, when, when I look at the way they've been playing recently, I say, you know, now, now I kind of see why things are clicking and why things are working the way they are. And I can tell you, before we step out of here in a minute, I can tell you one more thing that's definitely, definitely going to be something to watch in this game. And I, you know, I don't know that, you know, I, I'm sure Wayne Tinkle's not in the business of giving away his game plans before game starts. You kind of, you know, you, you maybe throw out some platitudes and generalities, but you you want to wait and you, let's see what they do during the game. They that they probably want to keep that a state secret at this point. But I can almost guarantee you that they will do everything they can to get pawns out of the game early uh, because and if you want evidence of how much of a difference that can make uh, when Alabama came to Tennessee and won earlier this season uh, which was an upset at the time we laugh at it now but it was a pretty big upset at the time you know people don't go into Thompson Bowling and win very often uh, even when it's COVID years and um, which hopefully there will not be many more COVID years but regardless I digress they went after pawns early and they got him um, two quick fouls in the first couple of minutes, got him out of the game, and they were able to lead for a lot of that game because they kept him in foul trouble in both halves. Uh, in the second time they played, Tennessee did not have John Fulkerson available uh, when they played Alabama the second game. So you're thinking, that's tough. Um, but Bama still tried like hell to get Pons out of the game, and Pons blocked like six shots in the first half because Bama just kept trying to go at him, and he was like, no. No, and he kept blocking shots, and he wasn't getting fouls. And so what happens? Well, Tennessee's up by 15 points. And then Bama has to, you know, get a couple of good breaks with, with some whistles, and then some shots go in, and then, the, you know, Tennessee coughs it up a couple times, and the game changes. But they will do everything they can because Pons is such an eliminator defensively that, you know, Tennessee would be a good defensive if it didn't have Pons. 
but it's been there in the top two or three nationally all year, um, primarily because of what Pons and Keon Johnson do. Uh, because Keon Johnson can take out an opposing team score, a uh, top kind of perimeter option, and Pons can guard one through five on the floor. And and so I'm wondering um, just if Oregon State's going to be going to try to go at Pons, a guy like that, who would be their guy to say, okay, uh, we, we need you to put the ball on the deck and we need you to go there and try to try to make something happen? I think you could see it from a couple of different guys. Um with with Reith Elatiche, he's got the length, yeah. I think, to, you know, he can avoid shot blockers. And, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, like Pons is an elite shot blocker, but Elatiche is a guy who's, you know, he's crafty, he's yep. super athletic, he can jump over anybody in the gym. Um, so, you know, his, his post offense and the way he's been able to finish in the paint down the stretch here has just been, it's been incredible to watch. So I think he would probably be your primary option there. Um, but then out of the backcourt, you know, Ethan, Ethan Thompson's kind of a, the, the guys at the Pac-12 network like to say, I, I think it's he slithers and slaloms, I think, are the, yeah. the words that they like to use. Yeah. And and so, you know, he, he can kind of cut up the defense. And, you know, before you know it, he's he's down at the post finishing up against some some big guys. And so I think you're probably going to see the ball in those two guys' hands a lot. Um, obviously you're going to see it with, with Thompson because he, he's the point guard, but I, I think that they're going to probably try to feed Alatiche quite a bit, uh, see what he can do against those elite defenders. And then obviously they've got shooters. They can kick it out too. If, if they take him away. Last question, I've got kind of an oddball question. Uh, how generally speaking does Oregon state handle left-handed players? Uh, and the reason I'm asking that is because, um, you know, if there's any Oregon state fans who are listening to this, who have not seen Tennessee much this season, like Tennessee's entire team is left-handed, um, you know, except for like Springer and uh, Keon Johnson. Like there was a time earlier this season, a bunch of the season where Tennessee started five left-handed players uh, and, and brought others off the bench. Like I think if Rick Barnes could make a team entirely comprised of six, five to six, eight guys who are left-handed wings and he could play five of them at a time, he would do that in a second. He would be like, I'll take that deal. Uh, he just, for whatever reason, loves left-handed players how many of those guys are out there on the left coast this year? Have you any, anybody that you can remember Oregon state going against uh, that was left-handed because a lot of people don't like guarding lefties and Tennessee's got a bunch of them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about See, the I, th- I threw it out there. I, I should have Oregon you, state is face. I should have let you prep for it, but it's just such a <laughs> if people, people who see Tennessee all the time in the SEC know that it's like left-handed you, but like, right. You know, on the West coast, I wouldn't expect people to be aware of that. Yeah, you know, off the top of my head, it's funny. I can't really even think of many, like, you know, top-tier guys in the Pac-12 who are left-handed. It seems like maybe this is – I don't know if it's just a right-handed dominant hey, year or Vic, something Vic, in the conference. Victor Bailey was one, and then he goes to uh, and then he goes to Tennessee. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm wondering there, yeah, because and, – and what about V.J. Bailey? He's a guy who, for Tennessee, he will score, like, four points in a game, six points in a game, and then drop, like, 28 uh, and then he'll drop 20 and then he'll go back to scoring like six for a week. And, and, uh, I'm wondering what, what, what the, the history is there between, uh, Bailey and, or, and Oregon state, if you can remember anything from the past couple of years, cause it's been Nothing a couple of years really that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, cause I know that he's a guy who, you know, started his career at Oregon, but then, you know, he, Tennessee and NC and Oregon were both at the same NCAA tournament site a couple of years ago. And he saw Tennessee's players go through the, like the tunnel and he went oh my god those guys are enormous it'd be fun to play with those guys uh and then rick barnes since since vj bailey's from austin barnes is like yeah i know i know his i know his family yeah we can make this work and they they brought him over as a transfer um but i I just wonder you know because because there's a couple of small connections there like obviously bailey's a guy who knows oregon state some of their players um you know obviously he wouldn't know uh tinkle and some of the you know some of the guys who are gone now but he probably knows some of them. And then Kim English was an assistant at Colorado for a few years uh, and probably knows some of those guys too, but not a ton of connections. I think Barnes said he's met Tinkle at conventions and he's got a lot of respect for him, but he doesn't really know him, which is weird because Rick Barnes knows everyone. It seems like Rick can't go into any city. And he's like, here are my favorite 20 people in this city. And here's the 10 best places to go eat. Um, he just, he's been, you know, he's, he's 145 years old. He knows everybody, but it's interesting because there's 
no matter where you go in college basketball, there will be connections. But, you know, this is, this is kind of a fun matchup because um, these two schools just – they both were orange, um, but they just – there's not been a lot of, of, uh, of interactions there. You know, Oregon State starts getting really good at baseball when Tennessee goes through its decade in the wilderness in baseball because Tennessee went to Omaha three times in ten years and then got terrible for like ten years and just randomly. And, and so – I don't think in football there's really been many matchups. They played Washington State a couple times. I'm not sure about Oregon State. Um, so it's kind of a fun matchup, right? Because uh, Tennessee and Oregon fans are tight. Like they played in football um, twice, went home and home, and they're both good tailgate scenes there in Knoxville and in Eugene. So they were like all buddy buddy hugging on each other. Plus Tennessee was trash at the time, and so Tennessee fans <laughs> probably knew it wasn't going to go very well. Um, but they, you know, were exchanging like. Oregon delights and like, you know, Tennessee barbecue and like, you know, taking shots and being good buddies and everything, but not a lot with Oregon state. I think this will be fun. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was watching the selection show and saw Tennessee, I said, hmm, that's, that's kind of a new one. You know, Oregon's on, on the, on the women's side, I know that the Oregon state women's team played Tennessee in the tournament mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, but yeah. that's the only thing that comes to mind really in terms of across all of the sports. I, I know for sure football, you know, hasn't played, um, at least as long as I can remember. And then basketball, I mean, I, as far as I'm aware, this, this might be the first meeting of all time. So, um, no, it's definitely going to be fun to, to kind of watch the sec style clash with the PAC 12. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious to see how Oregon state matches up with some, with some power five talent outside of the realm of just the PAC 12. Definitely. It's interesting to travel too, because Tennessee, just takes a quick bus up to Indy. I mean, where Knoxville's located geographically, unless you're going to the West Coast, you can kind of drive a lot of places and it's pretty comfortable. Whereas, it, I love the Pacific Northwest, but you're flying anywhere, basically, right? Unless you're Oregon, Oregon State, um, you know, you're just flying. So we'll see how that goes. But man, I really, really appreciate the time, Carter, that you took with us today. Will you please tell all these good listeners here at Go Vols 24-7 Podcast how they can, you know, get a hold of you, your site, your work, on the socials, where can everybody go find y'all at Beaver Blitz? Yeah, of course. So just check out beaverblitz.com. We've got, you know, plenty of content coming up from the tournament. Um, spring football's right around the corner. So we'll be covering that pretty in depth. Um, and then personally, you can follow me on Twitter at Carter Baines, B-A-H-N-S is the last name. Um, and, you know, be I'll, I'll be in Indianapolis. So I'll have updates from, from the site and, uh, you know, Twitter, Twitter is a good place to follow me if, if you're looking for the content, because I'll constantly push that out as well. But but definitely check out Beaver Blitz. Awesome, man. Well, really appreciate it, Carter. I know I've had I say this all the time. Uh, I'm I'm blessed to live in East Tennessee. It's one of the most beautiful pockets of the country. Um, but I get to travel a lot for work. And Oregon is my second favorite state in this country. I absolutely love it out there. Uh, I've been to Corvallis and Eugene both. Uh, and I like to I pick up shot glasses and a shirt usually from every campus uh, that work takes me to. And so uh, I do have a uh, do have the, uh, the the old uh, Oregon State Beavers uh, tank top that I will occasionally mow the yard in in the summer. And uh, just a lot of good people out there. Um, I know the Civil War, there's... There's different, you know, they, they don't get along too well, but uh, I, I don't choose sides there. I, I, I enjoy both. And now I have friends in both places. So, Carter, thank, yep. thank you for joining us, and um, we will see how the game goes uh, on Friday. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. That was our good friend, our new friend, but our good friend Carter Baines from BeaverBlitz.com covering Oregon State Athletics there for 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports, etc., and uh, it was a good interview. It was a good discussion. Good, I say interview. It was more of a discussion. Uh, lots of lots of good information flowing both ways there. And uh, uh, it's an interesting matchup for um, for Friday, and one that, uh, frankly, for both teams, never really haven't really seen the other, um, you know, in a while. So uh, could be a could be a really fun game. Looking forward to it. It's obviously fun that we're having an NCAA tournament. It's been been a couple years, unfortunately, since there's been one of these. And uh, it's good that it's in it. It's good that Tennessee's in it. And uh, we. We'll see how it goes. But I think that's going to just about wrap it up for this episode. If I could hit the button. Thanks again. Thanks a million uh, to Carter for joining us. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Say it all the time, but we always mean it. You can find all of us 
on social media, guys. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey, who's going to be in Indianapolis, uh, is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. If you want just Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govols247, or you can go to facebook.com slash govols247. Or if you want the best, most delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring Water, just that Smoky Mountain goodness right from the tap. You can get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Falls are ranked number 10th, doing a lot of good things right now. Lady Voss coverage, where Maria Cornelius, the award-winning Maria Cornelius, does an excellent job covering all things Lady Voss for us as they march on into the postseason. And congrats to uh, uh, Renea Davis, who was um, uh, named an AP uh, Honorable Mention All-American uh, this week. So good stuff there. Lots of stuff to talk about there. We had an exclusive interview with Kelly Harper uh, on Go Balls 24-7 uh, here just a couple days ago, I believe. Lots and lots of good stuff there. So uh, go check all that out. we got two forms that are running all the time, the Checkerboard and the Summit, your digital water cooler for all things Tennessee athletics or life. As long as it's not political or religious in nature, fire away. Discuss it with us. And right now you can get all of that, all of that, for less than one mediocre lunch per month. And if you go right now, like right this second, hurry up today, you can get your first two months for $1. And as soon as you pay us that low rate, um, which is um, the the full rate, which is still a low rate, you can get access in perpetuity. As long as you're a full paying member with us, you get free access to Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access. Now it's Paramount Plus, uh, which means there's even more on there. Uh, you get all kinds of stuff. You get live sports, with his, which is uh, obviously SEC Sports, Tennessee Sports, March Madness, NCAA Tournament. Right now, good time to get all the games there. Uh, you can also get NFL, PGA Tour, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, all kinds of exclusive stuff on there. Plus, every show CBS has ever made, commercial-free. Uh, everything, uh, a lot of the Paramount stuff, Paramount movies, uh, lots of exclusive content on there too, exclusive shows, and new movies every month, and, and all kinds of good stuff from the catalogs of Comedy Central, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, and Nickelodeon for the kiddos. All kinds of good stuff on there, and we give that to you for free when you're a full-paying member with us. It's the best deal out there. We're the only ones who can do it. It is fantastic. Check it out. Guys, if nothing else, you'll hear from us uh, throughout the weekend when Tennessee's playing in the NCAA tournament. Uh, knock on wood, maybe longer than a day or so, but we will see. Uh, until then, uh, wash your freaking hands, wear your freaking masks, socially distance from each other, be freaking nice to each other. We are so close to getting through this. Sign up for the freaking vaccine. Get the freaking vaccine. Let's do this. PSA out. We'll see y'all soon. Be good. See you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.